0: Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. As we bring you New Paradigms for a New World, we're also giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And our special guest today, Sabine, is with us. Sabine, uh, and the last name pronounced once more time. Gideon, I thought so. Sabine Gideon is my guest, and we're thankful that she has given us uh, some time here on the program. She's a busy lady uh, with a lot of folks that she's working with, people who are uh, working in uh, working towards or what have you, leadership positions. You know, I, I watched a very interesting foreign film the other night, <clears throat> and it kind of rolls right up your alley, I think, uh, because... The film was entitled, this is on Netflix, the film fortunately has uh, uh, dubbed in English English voices, so it was easy for me to watch. It was called The Dream Seller. I don't know if that's familiar with you or not. Fascinating story about a man, actually two men, a psychologist and a a high-powered businessman of a major corporation who... Basically, the, the man from the base the corporation didn't seem like he could find the time to spend with his young daughter and his wife on simple things, you know, like oh, I missed a play, I missed a ball game or this kind of thing. Until one day, apparently somebody wasn't happy with him and he was to get on a plane with his wife and daughter to go on a vacation. But he gets a phone call just before they get on the plane, and he says, "I, I have to take. I have to deal with this. I will meet you there."s And and she she kept telling him, "Please don't take the call. Don't take the call." But he did. He gets in his limo, what have you? They get on the plane. The plane takes off and explodes in midair, and he has a nervous breakdown, to where he winds up on the street. He's lost everything. And now he becomes this street preacher of sorts, talking about what's really important that he missed out on, but never really telling his story. And it seems as though I'm seeing more of these kinds of movies, and I'm kind of glad I am. I mean, it's, it, they're very sad initially. But what they're sharing is what has been... Uh, missing in entrepreneurial, capitalistic, and corporate, I'll call them arenas, for lack of a better phrase. And that's the human factor. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the key issues that you deal with with many uh, people you are training in leadership positions yeah, who are, absolutely. are, it's like, it, it seems as though the bottom, the bottom line is the bottom line for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a really great point. I mean, I, I could start so many different areas on this. Like, if you just look at last year alone, right, um, last year with everyone who thought they were in control, who thought you know, money and status and everything was the thing that was important to them. Like we all got put to a halt. And, you know, the one thing that united us as human beings was the reality or the realization that we are not in control and we are extremely vulnerable as as people. And, you know, in a space for a prolonged period of time where people didn't know what was going to happen, like you saw people looking to connect with each other in ways that like we hadn't before because we were too busy or we were striving or we were focused on other things. So I think like, um, you know, the pandemic blessings and the curses that it brought, it definitely brought through some blessings around like, let's get back to the main thing. Let's get back to what's really important. And that's people, that's relationships. Um, and so, you know, that's on a broader scale, but on a Personal level, individual with leadership. We also saw for the last several years, like leadership, not at its finest, right? Like that was really on display from like every level of our society, whether it was in government, whether it was in corporate environments, um, you know, in communities and churches. And so, I do think that there's been like this um, almost a unveiling, if you will, of like okay, everything you thought leadership was, everything that you thought you know was safe or, or stabilized or comfortable, it's really not. And now that we've been exposed as a people, as a society, I do think the message around, let's be human again. Um, let's be human in the sense of, we can still have the title of leader, but it doesn't take a title to make you a leader. Let's be human in the space that, in the sense that, you know, we're vulnerable, right? We're honest about what's going on, like this, um, this need to, placate or to, you know, show up as having all the answers or being that person, like that veil is, that veil is down, that no longer exists anymore. Like we were all in the trenches uh, last year. So as far as like what I do with leaders, you know, um, there's that question around, you know, what's the difference between a manager and a leader and are leaders born or are they made? And it's kind of like, for me, what I believe is that, you know, managing is what you do leading is who you are and when you are leading from a place of authenticity from a place of vulnerability from a place of integrity that is seen through the people who are following you that is seen through the results and the effectiveness that you're able to have so yes that is absolutely that's my long way of answering that is absolutely my focus um but you know wanted to provide some context around like this is why it's so important
0: yeah Uh, Another, uh, I I just, and I find it so interesting for me as an observer Mm -hmm. of this past year, 18 months, whatever, however we want to categorize it. um, My observations took on a lot of frustration. Not because of, What was happening to other people? But I, I, the only way I, and and there's an irony here. I become that which I am about to talk about: the complainers, the whiners, who, uh, in the beginning, conformed. They did what they were asked to do, for the most part. If we had stuck with it, I thought I really believe we probably only would have been in it three or four months. If we had done the hard work, but we didn't. And and um, and at the, I guess it depends upon who you talk to. Uh, three hundred thousand, six hundred thousand. What really that's what really hurts me is all we do is talk about the numbers. These were human beings. The they aren't here anymore. Their mother, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, et cetera, et cetera, that are gone. And you thought that you lost a holiday. Guess what? A family has lost all of the rest of the holidays with those people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I, and I, again, then I go into this, this uh, area of using, What people love to use the Constitution as their battering ram, and they will use the First Amendment. That's fine. And I'm not—no judgment here. It's just I put this question out. Um, But first, let me say, then there's all the other part, too. There's the preamble. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility— secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this constitution etc and i say how do you balance those two how do you do that and in corporations in many instances as well as in governments there is no balance it's it's one way and one way only are you finding that The younger generation, and I've heard this. I don't know if it's true because I don't associate with a lot of younger people much anymore. (laughs) I'm 61, so I'm not sure if they're avoiding me. I don't get out a whole lot just because we love where we live and we like going home and getting away from it all. Do you see the younger generation, and I'm going to refer to them that way rather than some of the labels, uh, as actually... Caring about the future of our societies and civilizations to find a way to incorporate humanness, if you will, if that's the right word to use, compassion, ethics, um, I won't go on any further, into the mix when it comes to the work that they do. The people they work with, the companies they work for, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, them more so than anyone. So I, uh, I'm a millennial, but I'm on the like higher end of the millennial, and then you ah. have like the younger millennials, and then you have Generation Z, right? To put on labels. And, you know, if you look at the trends, you know, it started with the millennials of wanting, you know, work-life balance and wanting, you know, quote unquote, what they call, you know, these perks from their their employer. So it was no longer about, um, hey, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna give you, you know, my 40, 50, 60 hours a week and you're gonna give me this paycheck and this promise of a pension. It was more so of like, hey, I wanna be connected with a job that you know, is fulfilling a job that like I get something out of it, just as you know I'm giving to them. And then as time has gone on, especially uh, with Generation Z, like they are, they've grown up with media, they've grown up with technology, they have been so well connected. Like I think about me as a as a youth, like m- so much was filtered back then on TV. Like you couldn't cuss, like you couldn't show nude Like there was just so much that we were mm-hmm. sheltered from. Whereas now this generation, they see everything. And so they have been able to form opinions around, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what they wanna see, what they don't wanna see. And they come into organizations or they align with organizations that allow them to fully express themselves. Um, so I would say for a Generation Z, if, if, you know, if you think about like who the real true activists are, when you look at um, even just the, not to make this political, but like just in this last elections and prior elections. Right. Even like I think Obama's first term, like you saw that change where like it was a lot of young people who were being up and saying, all right, I'm going to vote for the very first time. And like that has catapulted. And as you look at society where, you know, baby boomers are you know, uh, starting to, for lack of a better term, fizzle out and like millennials and generations here are the larger of the populations, you're seeing that more and more of them are caring. Um, Some of it, I will say, (laughs) especially in organizations, um, it can seem, it can seem a bit much, uh, especially for leaders, even millennial leaders and uh, Generation X or whatever you want to uh, call them, they see it as entitlement. They see it as okay. You want us to do all the stuff for you, but in reality, the their ability to vocalize, like, "Hey, this is wrong," or call out something, you know, just because it's been done that way, um, doesn't mean that we have to continue to do it. So I I do see them as that generation that is going to um, require. And expect a lot more from their corporations, a lot more from their uh, leaders, their um, political leaders, a lot more from society and anyone in that space of leadership. And they're not afraid to say or ask for what they want for sure.
0: How did that Yeah, sort of a sidebar question? Maybe it's not. Maybe this is still in your uh, wheelhouse. How did that develop in the in that generation? Because they came from parents who were what, seventies? Uh, I don't even know what generation they come from. I mean, where did they learn to be like this?
1: Yeah. Well, if you do the math, most of the Generation Z, their parents are the Millennials. Their parents are the the older Millennials who started this shift in. You know, organizations, society, everything of like, hey, this is what we want. We're not going to stand by and be quiet. And so those parents, and they also, I I did actually my, uh, my master's thesis in this, but you know, there is that, there is that, um, that thought out there, I'll put, I'll put it that way, that, you know, millennials were uh, latchkey kids where like, we kind of had to like figure things out because parents were working. Um, We were also the generation where like everyone got a reward, everyone got a trophy, right? It was no longer like the separation. So you could start to see the trends with um with millennials in terms of like just breaking down like hey we all participated we all should get something and so you add that to now they're raising kids um you know that starts to shift the belief like you ask for what you want um or you stand up for yourself or you should be included you know inclusion um inclusivity and everything else like Those are all huge things now. I do believe that, you know, it was my generation, good, bad, or indifferent, that kind of paved the way for that.
0: What do you think about uh, uh, those traditionalists who say that uh, the the, uh, millennials and uh, Gen Z and so forth, are actually going to destroy the fabric of our society because they don't believe in family values and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it just seems to me rather unrealistic that you, in our day and age, especially, for example, with housing prices going completely out of this world nuts, that you can have one person, i.e. the woman, staying home and raising the children while the husband goes off into the workplace and earns the money for the family. That is the traditionalist view. They, It's it's like they want to go back to the 50s, and it's like, I don't want to go back to the fi- I was born in 1960, so, you know, I, I don't have any points of reference there. Uh, we're here now, and... Th- I think that our societies, they evolve for better or worse, kind of like what you were saying.
1: So if you look at it from the, uh, I'll, I'll break down workplace and then like home, right? Mm-hmm. So um, boomers, right, like they got into a job and the promise was, You stick it out for 30, 40 years, like you're going to retire. You're going to have this pension. We're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of your family, right? So that promise of like loyalty and like, hey, stick it out with us. That's what they experience, right? Uh, Millennials. And then, of course, Generation Z, we got to experience like 2000, uh, 2008, where like, you know, uh, parents were getting laid off. Um, Their entire 401 plans were completely wiped out. Like we've experienced like, oh, okay, this this level of loyalty and like traditional work environment doesn't exist for us. Like, you know, the whole talk about social security isn't gonna be available by the time we're ready. So it's like what they grew up with the, I guess the motivating factors for them to hold on to these traditions, um, meaning like the older generation, that doesn't exist for us. Um, So that's why you see, you know, a lot more uh, entrepreneurship, a lot more innovation, a lot more doing things differently because we know that whatever this promise was doesn't exist. Um, Same thing in society And, and the point that you just made. Right. Boomers they went to when they went to college college didn't cost nearly as much as it does right now right and not only that like you didn't have people peddling credit cards you didn't have people peddling all of the student debt like oh go in debt go in debt go in debt so we're coming out of school with like not just tens of thousands tens of thousands in many cases hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt um trying to figure out getting you know what is like the bare minimum of a salary depending on where you're living so it's like you're starting off already like 10 steps back where that wasn't the case before um and you know if you look at millennials and and somewhat generation z too like most educated generation. Like, it's just, oh, okay, I got my undergrad now. Let me go get my master's. Let me go get my PhD without ever making a dime. So I think it's it's not fair to expect the same things when we're not living in that same society. And when it comes to, you know, even buying a house, starting a family, that stuff costs money. And it's hard to prioritize that when you are also looking at Hey, I have this mound of debt that I'm, you know, I'm I'm working towards, and I'm not making, you know, the hundred thousand dollars that they promised me I would make my first year out of college.
0: It is, uh, again, it's really, uh, I mean, as I said, I'm sixty-one. I was, uh, uh, I, you know, I went through the seventies thinking how great it'll be when I get out of high school and, uh, you know, become an adult and do all of the adult things and. And uh, I have to tell you that it's been a struggle, even even in that respect. And at the same time, um, I have found myself challenged uh, by the way things have changed. That, in and of itself, is something that, uh, at least, when I was growing up, you wanted to try to keep things pretty stable. Okay. Uh, you wanted, uh, an, you wanted the status quo, so to speak. Okay, I'm going to change that word. Uh, what they wanted was stagnation, or to use, a, or to use two computer terms, a static versus dynamic uh, life, and change is the only constant in the universe and we have been told to fear it to stay away from it to avoid it to do everything we can to keep it from happening and it keeps happening and we don't learn do you think that the uh... generations that are alive today who are going to be running if not already running things uh... have accepted the fact that things are are fluid and that nothing is going to last indefinitely, that it's all temporary?
1: Yeah, I do actually. And it's funny that you bring up change because I always talk about, I usually say change and death. Those are the two inevitables in life, right? But they're the two that we always are like caught by surprise or don't plan for. Um, So you're absolutely right. I do think though, if you look at, again, who's in leadership now and, and generations to come, We've experienced so much change in a very short period of time. Um, so even when like the the pandemic happened, right, it was the first time we've ever experienced a global pandemic. Can you imagine like kids who had to live through this, right? How that's kind of shaped their their view of the world. I remember when nine eleven happened, right? Um, you know, I was I was uh, I was out of high school. I was just recently out of high school, but it was kind of like, oh my gosh, that shook my world. Like the the um, the perception of like safety and America cannot like no one could attack like that shifted my paradigm. Right. And then uh, 2008 crash, uh, total market crash, like, you know, people's savings wiped out again, shifted my paradigm around like, okay what's possible? And so every I, I would say every one of these like catastrophic instances, right, allow us to kind of be exposed to something different. So if you're looking at people in their, you know, 40s and early 30s, over just the last 10, 15, 20 years, they've experienced a lot of major shifts. And now when you look at, you know, the kids who are growing up or like Generation Z, they're starting with a global pandemic. I mean, we haven't seen one of those in like how many years? One hundred. I do think that as as um, as these. Call them natural disasters or things happen each time they happen i do believe that it forces us to create a um a new muscle if you will or new ways to cope new ways to adjust um you know the the subconscious mind is constantly recording right all of our events all of the events of our lives and oftentimes when we experience something that we haven't experienced before we go into that fearful place or we go into that you know I need security place because we haven't experienced it before but over time you add enough of those <laughs> those experiences into the mental rolodex at i don't know generations from now these 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 kids adults who are like whatever age they are they're going to be like okay we've seen this before we know what to do like it's already programmed within us
0: mm. we're talking <clears throat> Pardon me. We're talking with uh, Sabine Gibian, Gideon, founder of Gideon Enterprises. Uh, she is also a uh, certified both life and leadership coach. And we're talking about uh, leadership and what what that takes uh, at all levels in all parts of our lives. And I would venture there are a lot of people who have not yet taken a leadership role in their own lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's interesting that you put it that way because it's not just about a leadership role in a company. um, And it's not just about like the title of being a leader. I, I do. I am a firm believer that, you know, we all carry innate seeds of leadership and it's a matter of Having it cultivated, you know, going through the process to grow into, into that person. Um, you mentioned before, you know, the, the traditional values were more around stagnation, right? And mm-hmm. so you see it in any any space, regardless of what generation is, like, right? People get a job, go to school, get a job, and they just work for 40 years, they retire, and then, you know, like life happens. That's also the narrative <laughs> that we're being sold, but that's that's besides the point. Um, and so my focus really is, regardless of whether you have a, you know, executive title at a corporation or you are starting at an entry level, like the the, the skill set, the, um, the being of a leader, like that is something that you start to cultivate before you get the title. Or I should say, you should start cultivating before you get the title so that when you get the title, you're already fully operating in it. And it's not something that you have all of these blind spots around. Um, When it comes to our lives though, like our personal lives, I do believe, again, I I keep referencing these last couple of years. um, If last year didn't like push or usher people into the space of like, okay, there are things that I don't have control over um, and there, there are changes that are gonna happen, but you know, life is short, right? And so we have to be intentional. We have to be planful. We have to be mindful of where we are today and where we want and how we want to get there and then do the things that leaders do, right? Create the strategy, put a plan in place, find out what the resources are needed to you know, actually make that happen and then move forward.
0: Hmm. Uh, Sabine Gideon is my guest here on the program and uh, we are talking about the aspects of uh, a leadership. Let's talk a little bit about The qualities, Uh, I will really briefly share with you my first experience as a manager, operations manager for a radio station. Uh, And and this is the phrase that I used, so I'll use it now. I refer to it as my Hitlerian phase. And uh, I found that it did not work. In other words, you do it because I tell you to do it. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got my comeuppance when uh, one of my uh, employee well, it wasn't my employee, my one of my co-workers, because we were all doing the same work, basically. I was just the supervisor, if you will. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it because you tell me to do it. And I said, uh, okay. And so I had to come up with another way to phrase it. And that was basically, well, it needs to be done so that this area is clean for the next program. He said, well, I'll do it for that reason, but not because you want me to. Mm. And it was then that I realized that because I'm doing the same work that they are, I come from, I am in the same space that they are. I can relate to what they're going through. Uh, now one of my, uh, be- my best friend who I've known for 50 years, he and I grew up in grade school, high school and college together and he worked for bookstores and he would clean the toilets. He was the manager of the bookstore. And when he would ask somebody else to do it, they would grumble. And he said, look, I can clean the toilets. If I can clean the toilets, so can you. Okay. okay. So he led by example. And I did, too. I mean, I had I had to keep the place clean. So I did my part in my eight hour shift. What is your perspective on the I guess we should call it the the, the leadership qualities, sort of the checklist of uh, what attitudes that a leader should have, uh, you know, in a leadership role, maybe over other people or with other people? terminology is that important the words that they are using when trying wanting to get people to do certain things uh carry out certain tasks in order to accomplish the goal for that period of time that type of thing can you kind of uh, uh, elucidate on that for us
1: yeah and so sometimes right when you use the word attributes it can be like oh you know this person is a great communicator, and they're this, and they're that, right? And it can it can it can often, or you know, the rule of uh, the school of thought around leadership, it can be very um, external in the sense that, like, oh, these are the things that you have to do, right? Uh, this is the way that you have to um, show up as a leader. My focus is really on who who are you inside, right? And and that comes for me more so around values. And your like your personal characteristics. Um, when you think about it, like whatever, however you are inside, whatever you're carrying inside shows up regardless of whether or not you you're charismatic or you're whatever as a leader and you're, you know, you can get people to do stuff. At the at the core, if you are broken or if you are bitter, if you are nasty, or you're carrying insecurities, all of that stuff is gonna come out, right? So I'm really focused on okay, what are your core values as a human being? Let's let's put the title aside, let's put the role aside, let's get clear on what's important to you, um, because if you don't know you, then you can't really like pull out. Um, you know, a gift or pull out a talent in someone else, right? So we start with you. What, what What's important to you? So I go through, you know, core values around integrity, um, honesty, compassion, empathy, you name it, right? And, you know, our life experiences are what help us create our values and our beliefs. Let's start with getting clear on what's important to you. Then it's a matter of how are these values showing up in your team, showing up in the work, right? So if you say that you value integrity, right, are you lying? Are you scheming? Are you, you know, not being forthcoming with information to your team? Like there's, there's a challenge there. It, it's incongruent whether you think that's the right thing to do or not. So just getting clear on who you are, what's important to you, and then looking at, okay, is that reflected? Do I see that reflected? Um, oftentimes when you see like a team is like disgruntled or a team has like all these issues, there's backbiting, there's whatever going on, you can trace that back to the leader. Like where is that leader not reflecting that? Or where what is the what are the people seeing? that is causing them to behave in that way. Um, It's almost like a a household, right? Children, they model after their parents, right? They watch their parents, they see how their parents speak, how their parents treat each other, and eventually they start modeling that behavior. It's the same thing in the workplace when it comes to leadership. Um, So I get to the core of, you can learn the hard skills. Not that I'm saying that they're not important, but you could learn those. Being a person of integrity or whatever your values are, that is something that you you have to, one, uncover, and then you have to demonstrate. I think the second piece, too, is you know once you're clear on who you are, being able to communicate that. Um, and the communication can go under the hard skills and the soft skills, but I, I think it's, it's hard to get people to follow your vision. And in the example that you gave, right, if you can't clarify the vision, if you can't make meaning out of it for them, like people follow you, one maybe because you've been promoted into a title, but also so they see something in you that they want to model. One of the thing that I wanted to backtrack to is that in your example, it sounds like you were you were an individual contributor, right, with your team, and then you got promoted to the top. One of the challenges that a lot of people, first time managers, uh, face is that transitioning mentally and emotionally from that, like individual contributor to that manager. So a lot of times you're still operating as a player coach because you're doing the job and you're trying to motivate people. Mm-hmm. And so it's a mindset shift that needs to happen um, that I, I help people work through of like, hey, yes, you were once doing the job, which makes you relatable, which makes you um, able to have empathy and compassion for the work that they're doing and you know, finding ways to actually express that. So similar to what you did, uh, with saying, hey, we got to get this done because at the end of the day, like this needs to happen and this needs to happen. Like you gave that person a reason to connect with the tasks, right? And even connect with you because, or you were able to connect with them because you understood that like, this is how that person will receive this information. Um, so being able to, you know, communicate your vision and communicate your vision in a way that, um, uh, what do they call it? They call it with them right, the what's in it for me, ah. um, you know, being able to say, hey, this is what we're doing and building, building some type of inspiration around we're doing this and it's going to allow you to experience this or it's going to allow you to, um, you know, grow in this way or it's going to help this. So you are connecting the vision with what's important to that person. So going back and trying to wrap this all in a bow, it starts with you knowing who you are, knowing what your values are, right? Being then understanding your teams, what are their values? What's important to them? Um, You know, what you value, whether it's like empathy, right? I'm throwing that out there. That may not be someone else's core values. So when you see them behaving in a way that doesn't align with yours, it could just be like, oh my gosh, this person's so hard to work with. No, it's not what it means. It just means that that's not one of their core values. So you get to know your team members. You you ask them what's important to you. And then when you go to assign a task or when you go to express the vision, you have that understanding and knowledge and can create a deeper connection on, hey, this is how we're going to move forward in getting, you know, X tasks done.
0: Sabine Gideon is my guest. I, I keep saying it so fast. Sabine Gideon. SabineGideon.com yes. is the website. We encourage people to go to your website. We will be linked to your website as well to encourage people to uh, find out more about you and the work that you're doing, especially if they are interested in not only becoming a, a better leader, uh, then they need to get in touch with you through that website, Sabine. Gideon.com. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We also hope that you will listen to us on the podcasts, on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and a whole lot of other locations on the internet. Uh, so you'll find us. Just Google us, and I'm sure you'll find "Tell Me Your Story" as well as the channel channel on uh, uh, YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. The channel is "Tell Me Your Story." Just look for the the guy with the hat. And we hope that you uh, will also, and this is an area we're going to go into next, we hope that you will also take the time during this, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, to go within, spend some quiet, quality time with yourself. You even touched upon it earlier about knowing yourself, uh, Sabine. And we're going to talk about that, but we want people to uh, sit quietly if they can, even if it's just for five minutes, and listen to that still, small voice. We also hope that you like the programs that we're doing, and if so, and you'd like to support us financially, we would be so grateful that you uh, would do that. We want to thank those who have over the last few years and those who will in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. And we have a PayPal account, and that's for your security as well as ours. And uh, also uh, want you uh, to know that um, we have some incredible guests on this program with some great concepts and ideas, and we hope that you'll come to the table, and we call it the smorgasbord table, and take what resonates with you and take it and enjoy it and then come back. Because after you have partaken of that which you were comfortable with, it might make you comfortable for some new things that you hadn't even thought of before. So we can, we would, uh, can hope that you would consider doing that. Let's talk about the role of our intuition as leaders.
1: Yeah, um, it's funny because that's not that's not a it's not mainstream, right? Especially like in organizations to talk that is, about that's talk true. About yeah, um, but for me, I'm 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 a believer, uh, meaning that you know I'm I'm of the Christian faith, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of what I do personally is based off of you know, whether or not it's in alignment. Um, so I talked earlier about, you know, leadership being seeds of, you know, being seeds within us. And, you know, you, you hear the word purpose, you hear the word, you know, things that you were destined for. And it's very similar, right? Um, you have to be able to go within to find out like, okay, well, what am I supposed to be doing? And I think that that it plays a huge role, even in day-to-day leadership with corporate aside, work aside, right. Just the day-to-day things that you were doing in your life. Right. Um, having that compass, having that North star, having that, um, that, what do you call it? Uh, guide, if Mm -hmm, you will, mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's Holy spirit to say, Hey, this is the path that you need to go. Um, you like, it's been so helpful for me in many cases, right. When it came to, you know, hiring someone, when it came to uh, bringing someone on my team, or when it came to, you know, really understanding, like, what's going on here? I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, and when I was in corporate, I supported leaders, um, you know, at all different levels. And you you see all the different personalities, right? Like the real, the real mean person, the passive aggressive person, the person who is just conflict avoidant. Um, but every time I encountered specifically someone who was mean or negative, really negative in any capacity, it was always like, okay, well, what's their story? What's going on with them? And that's where I would leverage, you know, Holy Spirit to show me like, how do I connect with this person in particularly, in particular? And so, you know, I had this one case uh, with this uh, manager who, you know, she was just, she was emasculating. She was all the things, right? All the things. And I was just like, okay, how do I connect with this lady? When I went to go meet with her, it was more so, okay, well tell me about you. Like she had, and you know, you come to find out, like she had grown up in like this very male dominated industry. You know, she had experienced all of the negativity. And so like this person that she became was like this hard shell to protect herself and to prove that, you know, she could take it, not realizing that like, oh, wait, no, <laughs> like you, you're leaving dead bodies behind. Um, but when I understood her as a person, when I asked questions about her family, when I got to know her, when I gave her, when I created the space, if you will, to connect with her on a deeper level and share things about myself, right, that's when she was able to open up but I would not have been able to do that. Like if I just went into the relationship or the conversation with the same mindset everyone has, like, oh my gosh, she's difficult. She's, you know, overbearing. She's all that other stuff. Like our relationship would have never blossomed where I was able to help support her as a leader so that she could start making those shifts. Um, So I do think that, you know, being able to connect with people on on a deeper level only happens when you are connected on a deeper level um, to who you are, your inner guide of Holy Spirit, whatever you call it, um, so that you can make decisions that aren't just, you know, fear-based objective, or like you can uh, you can get, uh, how's, how's, how would I like to put this? You can get down to the root of things a lot quicker and a lot easier mm-hmm. um, when you're tapping into, um, when you're tapping into that source of your intuition or your your, your spiritual guide.
0: Yeah, I I find it uh, fascinating, some television programs and movies that I've seen where, uh, and I I use this as an example all the time. Uh, So there's a spoiler alert, folks. Batman versus Superman. All right? You take the beginning of the movie, you take the end of the movie, you get rid of the middle, and the film's only maybe 15 minutes long. If they had done, at the end of the movie, what they should have done at the beginning of the movie, and that is communicate with each other, there never would have been the battle and all of the destruction that they created in their wake, uh, fighting each other over these issues. And that seems to happen more often nowadays because we're not listening to one another. Um. You ran down sort of a, a short little list there of the, some personality types. And I don't want to get political either, okay? But I want to uh, ask you from a uh, more of a, uh, a psychological or behavioral, behavioral perspective as a business owner okay would you have allowed the kind of behavior and temperament to exist in your workplace and I'm gonna say this and this is not has nothing to do with politics that we saw in the behavior not the politics but the behavior and the words from our former president
1: yeah uh would i have allowed it in my organization no um have i seen remnants of that absolutely and here's the thing especially depending on the organization right there is definitely you know the boys club there that exists but then there's also this mentality because and you mentioned before right the focus so much on the bottom line there you will always find this mentality of like yeah they're a jerk or yeah they have these issues but they're getting results you know like their you know their pnl is positive or they're doing this or they have this relationship and so oftentimes like the reason why it um behavior like that is tolerated is because this person is producing some type of results for somebody if they may be leaving dead bodies behind but the people who are quote unquote in charge or benefiting from that behavior they'll let that keep going because at the end of the day whatever result that it's producing they feel that that's more valuable than what's happening with the people Um, So, you know, even even there there have been times where I was like, oh, my gosh, how is this happening at the highest level? Um, But it's not it it wasn't exclusive to him. I've seen it before. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I've seen it before at all different levels of organizations. But the, the core of it, it's always, yeah, this is crappy for us. Someone's benefiting from that. And if someone's not benefiting from that, then someone is abdicated their leadership responsibility in holding that person accountable.
0: Do you see the uh, bottom line changing to something else?
1: No. No. Uh, Our society is not. If more and more, I mean, I'm I'm all about like capitalism and, and people being able to, you know, create their own wealth and all that other stuff. Like I'm a firm believer of that. But as you can see in our society, like, there's, a, there's a, a very small you know, part of the population that's really, really benefiting from that thought and that, that, um, that philosophy. And I think as long as they are able to maintain power, maintain control, maintain resources, um, it's, it's always gonna be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone, because that's the model, right? That's the model that's been created. Everyone's going to behave in that capacity because they're thinking, hey, This is how I have to be. This is how I have to perform. This is how I have to show up in order to have these things. So you're just going to see that replicated, you know, over the years and throughout the generations until someone (laughs) starts to create a different model.
0: Yeah, I heard it said that uh, uh, I think I was the one that actually made the comment to this guest uh, that, well, we need to tear down the old institutions and build new ones. And he said, no. You do not want to tear down the old institutions. You want to build new ones that make the old ones obsolete.
1: Yes. Yeah. And we're seeing that. Look at, um, you know, you look at uh, Uber, right? In like versus taxis. Mm -hmm. You look at Airbnb versus hotels. You look at Netflix and Hulu versus the stations, right? Or not even the stations, the um the studios. Like this entire pandemic, most of the studios were shut down. I live in LA. So most of the studios were shut down because, you know, they couldn't do all of this uh production and, you know, spending millions of dollars and all that other stuff. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, they were still putting out shows, mm-hmm. right? They were investing in like, you know, people who were maybe lesser known. They were doing projects that were shorter pieces and they flourished throughout the pandemic, so you we are seeing a a generation of these new organizations that are sprouting up, that are doing things different, that are being a lot more nimble, that are being a lot more flexible, um, that aren't playing by you know those old school rules, and they are starting to you know so to speak put the other ones out of business or make them a lot more obsolete.
0: Mm. I want to ask you uh, on another level here in regards to leadership. I want to talk about leadership from the gender perspective. I think one of the biggest, um, I guess the word would be hypocrisies that exists, is that if a man uh, in a position of leadership uh, decides to so to speak, put his foot down or his fist down on the table. He's considered to be strong, forceful, uh, and potentially a good leader. But if a woman does that, oh, she's being hysterical. She's you know, and I don't need to go into all of the other stuff. You you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. How do you address that dynamic? between the genders and I won't even I'm not even going to get into all of the other um, subsidiary <laughs> gender types right now just the male female I'm not excluding anybody for any particular reason other than simplicity okay so please don't feel insulted uh, tell me about your perspective in that regard
1: yeah first of all it's not okay on either side, male or female, to behave that way, right? Like, you you think about it, regardless if someone's in a leadership position, there are grownups in that room, right? Like, you're not dealing with little kids. So to me, that that's more of a reflection of that person. Um, and I don't think that that behavior is okay, male or female. Um, I don't know that... I'm not saying it doesn't happen behind closed doors, but I don't know that at this space in the workplace, that that is as acceptable, um, and that you won't get called out on it. Now, whether or not there's you know any huge repercussion for it, um, I don't know that anyone will just be like, oh, okay, well this happened. So I'll give you using the example of the um, the woman that I used to support. Uh, you know that was her that was her M O. That was her way um it was that very forceful um you know forceful emasculating and and she really did it more so with men than she did it with women and that was again you know, based on her challenges or her issues, um, you know, coming up in, in the workspace. Um, but she was called out on it just as equally. Like, of course, the men, right? They were like, who is she? How dare she? Da, 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 da. Like, they had all these issues. And I'm pretty sure if a male did that, they probably wouldn't have thought more, um, they wouldn't have thought as much about it. Um, I do think that there is, especially depending on the environment that you're in, when you've seen that modeled, That's what, that's what you, you know, that's what you create. So for the man or for the woman who is behaving in that way, they've seen, how can I put this? They've seen it modeled and they've seen that behavior rewarded. So it becomes a psychological thing, right? Like, and depending on the culture of the organization, that may be okay because whoever's at the top, that's exactly what they do. Um, I do think that for women though, um, and this is not to, to, be sexist in any capacity. It's almost like we don't have to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I do think that like women carry such power and such grace in just being themselves in just, you know, showing up in their assertive, um, but not necessarily aggressive way that we don't, we don't have to take on that identity or that personality to get things done. Um, however, in the workplace, taking on that personality may get work done, but you will also get that label, which also means that you know it holds you back from promotions, it holds you back from compensation, it holds you back in so many different ways. So, if anything, I would encourage um, men and women one to stop doing that, two, but for women to really be okay with, hey, let me just be me, let me show up as me, and I'll still be able to get stuff done. Like we. Uh, we have a way of (laughs) convincing, (laughs) if you will, people to move forward, you know, in a way that doesn't have to be threatening. and doesn't have to be abusive. Um, And it can be just as equally motivating and encouraging.
0: On that same line, what about the, I don't want to say the misbehavior, uh, but just what we've been talking about, the, all right, putting the fist down kind of thing, male or female. And so, you know what? I, I shouldn't have done that. And apologizing, owning it, saying, look, I, 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 um, you don't want to say you're, you weren't in your right mind necessarily, but I got a little up, I got a little heated. I I, I want to apologize, and I'd like for us to move forward. Do you feel that someone like that is really working to make those kinds of changes within themselves? I mean, yes, they just sort of exploded, Mm -hmm. but then they recognized, oh, I shouldn't have exploded and I hope I didn't get it on anybody. I am sorry if I did, Shrattner or what have you. And I would like to uh, apologize and, and, uh, and move forward. What, what is the best way for someone who recognizes that, we'll call it foible? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: so I've seen it in the sense of someone doing that and then they apologize but then they're always doing it and they're always apologizing, uh, right? So okay. there needs to be a, like there, there is that cross between, oh, I do this, I see reactions or I get, you know, a slap on the hand and then I apologize just because, you know, I got the slap on my hand versus, you know what, in the moment, all right, this wasn't, this wasn't acceptable, Um, you know, I've, uh, I've had cases with, uh, leaders, you know, getting terminated because of doing, you know, stuff like this, like completely unacceptable behavior behind closed doors. So people do get terminated and, and, and especially if it's a repeated thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, every time I blow up, I get in trouble. I say, sorry. Um, I am always of the mindset and and it takes work, right? You know, if you do any type of personal development, you know that it takes work. You have to recognize your own triggers, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all have triggers, whether we're in the workplace or not. Like, you know, someone can say something and we feel it, whether it's physically in our body, emotionally, something's happening. So what I would what I would advise leaders, right? Before it gets to that place, that you have to, you know, apologize or that you have to blow up at anybody, right? Wrecking, goes back to knowing yourself, right? what are your triggers? What, what makes you hot? What gets under your skin? I'll give you a perfect example. Incompetence, right? For a very long time, as I was uh, developing as a leader, like if I trained someone on something at like more than three times and like they still weren't getting it, like completely honest, like I would get annoyed. Like, oh my gosh, like you still don't get this. Um, And so I had to recognize, well, first of all, maybe it's not that they still don't get this. Maybe it's I think that what I've trained is clear or how I've trained them is clear and maybe that's not the way that they learned, right? So taking that step back and saying, okay, rather than getting frustrated in this moment with this person, let's ask the question, how do you learn best? What tools do you need, you know, to, to remember this? So, you know, that's me giving a, a side example, but again, before you get to that place, what are your triggers? What are the things that bother you? What are the things that annoy you, right? And taking that moment I think uh, I used to say this, and I still say this, right? You know, leaders are so underdeveloped because when it comes to leadership and organizations, there's so much emphasis on how you're showing up, right? And what you're doing and the results that you're getting. There's not a lot of conversation around, you know, you knowing you and you showing up as your authentic self, right? Saying like, hey, I don't know the answer or taking a moment, I, I, I used to tell the leaders that um, there are a couple clients that I have that I support now, right? When you find yourself in that place, take a moment and sit with it. And by that, I mean, sit with it. What is the emotion that's coming up for me? What has been triggered inside of me? What are the messages? Like How am I um, how am I receiving or perceiving what was said or done, right? Then once you've processed it for yourself, then going back and having a conversation with someone and saying, hey, you know how we were having this conversation and I started to get upset and I really had to figure out what, what it was about the conversation that bothered me. Um, so I think to be an effective leader, like you always have to be doing self-work. You always have to be, um, not always, but you should be very conscious of what's happening inside of you and then aware of how is that impacting or affecting you know, the people around me
0: very good advice um what about therapy seeking an outside therapist in that regard it's like okay I did it once okay I don't want to do the repeat and keep apologizing I've got to get a handle on this cuz I like this job I like these people I like the work that I'm doing but I also know I have triggers
1: (laughs) you know it's funny our our work lives or our careers whatever are mirrors of what's happening at home so again not to like get deep but like as you build or as i've built relationships with leaders like the ones who were like toxic showing up toxic or showing up in a negative manner you could always trace it back to okay something in their home life wasn't okay something something in their personal life wasn't okay and because we're human beings right we carry ourselves like that That whole mindset of like, leave your emotions at the door. That's not realistic, we're human beings. And so yes, therapy could be the thing, but it's probably not because of work. It's probably because of something that's deeper that's happening at home or something deeper that they've been carrying since childhood, who knows. Um, but you can always trace back to whatever their behavior is outwardly is a reflection of, of of something that they they've already been carrying and haven't yet found a way to overcome.
0: Sabine Gideon is my guest here on the program. She is uh, a life coach, a leadership coach. Uh, what are some of the other titles that uh, that you have you have uh, on your resume, shall we say? <laughs>
1: Um, executive coach. Uh, I am an author as well. Um, wrote a book. It's not on leadership. It was more on like my life and my personal journey of learning how to identify my triggers, uh, healing um, from trauma. Um, and so, you know, authors on there. I'm also a podcast host. Uh, but, you know, the space was limited. So I.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that that can be a problem if you have too many things. I put it real tiny letters on a small card, on a big card, on a big card, uh, and it still wasn't enough room. Well, we are, are ever so grateful for the time that you've given us. I, I want to touch upon one other thing, and I've sort of saved it for last because I think it's very important. Um, we talked about uh, uh, the, the gender issue. Now, I would like for us to discuss, because I think it's very important in this day and age, uh, the race issue, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the diversity of peoples in this country in particular, who come from all over the world, ethnically, if not literally, uh, who are trying to uh, make it make a name for themselves, make a particular product, provide a particular service, Uh, you know, the list goes on. And the thing that has struck me, especially over the last 18 months to two years, uh, is all of these different movements that have sprouted up that I think have opened uh, my consciousness anyway. I can't speak for anybody else. I'd like to think it's for others as well, uh, to be more aware, more understanding. And some of the programs, the documentaries in particular that I have watched over the last two years uh, about uh, stories that were incredible. They were wonderful stories of people of color accomplishing the most amazing things that i had never heard of before
1: Mm.
0: for example uh... i guess they referred to it as black wall street what was it in uh... arkansas
1: Oklahoma.
0: oklahoma oklahoma and and then how that ended up Mm -hmm. and it's like well if they did it once they could do it again Mm. it's not impossible and actually i think it's happening I've noticed, too, especially with many diverse outlets these days that you listed uh, uh, who are making movies aside from Hollywood, uh, that I, I, I can't tell you any movies I have seen that didn't have people of color in it if they weren't completely about people of color who were very wealthy on, on top of that, you know, which I thought was pretty neat. It wasn't all stereotypes, you know, it was it was nice to see, I have to tell you. But I'm curious about this whole aspect of, of uh, uh, ethnicity when it comes to leadership. Not so much who make the best leaders ethnically. That's not where I'm going with this. But in terms of dealing with, as a leader, and in your case, you are in a position of leadership. You're not only a black person. Uh, person, you're a black woman. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and and, and it's, uh, you know, and I'm so happy to have you on the program here to talk about these kinds of things. So I'm hoping that we can we can touch upon that a little bit, because I'd like to have you enlighten our audience some on, on this particular area, because I know it's, it's an important one we need to talk about.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I'll start with the the whole naming convention, right? Of like groups of people, it, when it comes to expanding awareness, right? So I'm actually Haitian, I was, actually, I was born in Haiti, I uh, came here when I was just shy of four years old. And so, you know, growing up or before I got here, like everyone looked like me, right? So I'm coming from an environment where like everyone looked like me, coming here, very, very diverse environment. And it was very clear, at least for me in my experience, that there were the African-Americans, there were Haitians, there were Jamaicans, there was everything, right? So I've grown up with a viewpoint or a perception that like not every black person is, well, you know, what we call like African-American, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So my viewpoint is different versus like, well, you just found out that I was Haitian, right? So. Um, the, the mindset around one, this notion of lumping people into like one big category, even the same thing with the Asians, right? Like lumping like nations into one big category. I think that that's something that like that's a start or that's a place for us to start as a society mm-hmm. and no longer doing that. Um, and I think that in, even growing up and still to this day, one of the things that at the core bothers me is that, you know, Black people or that terminology Black people is really just focused on person's color. Same thing with white people, right? Or at least Caucasians, right? There's this this whole thing of like identifying people by the color of their skin. That to me is another way of uh, perpetuating and keeping that cycle of racism and negativity, because now it's kind of like, oh, you're this color, you're that. So the labels, um, I think, are the first and foremost like place where we just need to let go of that, especially here in the US and you know other parts of the world, of course. Um, but yeah, the, the whole Black or Asian or Hispanic. And it's like, people have identities with even within that space um and the whole color piece too it's like if we keep, continue to have a conversation around black people versus white people it's always going to be a black versus white versus like if we just kind of expand or just let go just let go of the colorism mm-hmm. um so that's one uh you're you know expanding your perception i think based off of you know what happened last year there's been a lot of, you know, awareness, a lot of like, <laughs> sadly, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was happening, uh, which is, a, you know, an issue all in itself, right? Uh, for those who didn't know, now they know. And, you know, it sounds like uh, people are doing the work of like, okay, well, let me expand my consciousness. Let me expand my awareness so I can know. Um, so I think that that's a good thing, but at the same time, People are looking to those in leadership, whether it be in their governments, whether it be in their organizations, to be the ones to lead the charge towards change. And that's where I think that we are going to continue to get stuck in this perpetual cycle of racism. Um, This is not something that one person in charge or 10 or 100 or 1,000 people in charge will be able to change. This is something as a collective human society that we are going to have to, you know, uh, dis- disassemble and say no more. Um, you know, I, I'm always on LinkedIn, and on LinkedIn there's like a lot. I follow a lot of like uh, DEI uh, diversity consultants. And they're always talking about like, oh, yeah, well, you know, all of these companies were, you know, were joining the bandwagon and had their marketing and their PR around, you know, Black Lives Matter and what they were going to do for their, um, their people of color. And now it's grown silent. And I think the problem is we are always looking to someone else to be the change or we're always looking at the top of the chain to be the ones to ignite change. And in a normal world, right, in a normal organization, yeah, it should start with the leadership. But guess what? There are more of us (laughs) at this bottom level than there are of them at the top. So we have to take accountability. We have to take responsibility. And by we, I mean society, not just, you know, people of color versus non-people of color, but all of us collectively to say, this is not how we want to live. And we decide how we want things to be, and then we bubble that up. Um, In corporate America, uh, they refer to it as managing up, right? Like knowing or anticipating what will your leader need to know to make a decision or what things will they need to influence them? That's what we should be doing at this point in society versus looking up and saying, oh, you're not doing enough and you didn't do this and you pledged that money, but you didn't do that. Like it's, it's, (laughs) it's no skin. And I hate to say this to, you know, to minimize it but it's like it's no skin off their back if they don't like they're still going to make revenue they're still going to make money so rather than take the victimization of like oh my gosh they're not doing anything let's let's step up as a society let's step up as human beings and you know declare we are human beings this is how we want to treat each other And start treating each other that way and then communicate how we want to see that reflected, whether it be in laws, whether it be, you know, in corporate culture or what have you.
0: Mm. I remember a commentator following President uh, President Barack Obama's uh, election uh, that they were just constantly using the phrase our first black president. But one commentator made what I thought was an extraordinarily profound statement. And they said, the day we stop using that that phrase, our first woman, Asian, Mexican, black, whatever the other nationality you want to list in there, president, until that day, we have not come far at all. And that's kind of going to the root of what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Well, I, I appreciate your insights and, uh, you, um, you have a lot to offer people who are listening to this program. And I'm hoping they will go to your website, sabinegideon.com, And I thank you again for joining us here on the program. And, uh, I do have three final questions that I would like to ask you before we wrap this program up. I ask all of my guests. But before I do, I need to address you, the listener and viewer, and remind you that this program, Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, comes your way. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. And Wednesdays for the special edition of Tell Me Your Story at 9 a.m. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. Our podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, many other locations. iHeartRadio, I I do need to mention that, and Amazon Music. So hopefully you will uh, subscribe to any or all of those. I guess you only need one. You don't need to get notified by all of them that a new interview has gone up. But hey, to each his own or her own. Uh also a reminder that we are on YouTube, the YouTube channel Tell Me Your Story. We hope that you will avail yourselves of that. We're up to a whole 29 subscribers and I'm grateful for that. Also letting you know that as of this broadcast, podcast, video cast We are just shy of 39,000 listens through Spotify and the RSS feed spread throughout the Internet to the other podcast locations. 39,000? Like I've said before, I don't know what that number means, but hey, I'll take it. I thank you for listening to the programs and spreading the word about what we're trying to do, and that is quite literally change the world for the better for everyone. Uh, ignoring the color, just help everyone to, uh, you know, as, as the analogy goes, Sabine, uh, we're, we're all walking up a ladder with one hand up being helped by the person above us and one hand down helping the person below us. And uh, so that's what we're here to, to help people to do. Also want to remind you, too, to spend some time Spend that time in uh, meditation, in prayer, or whatever you want to call it, even if it's just five minutes going within during the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, and uh, listening to that still small voice again, uh, however you communicate and whatever you, whatever name you give to that still small voice. We encourage you to do that. Uh, as I've said before, uh, we'll never steer you wrong. will never put you in harm's way. Might challenge you, has challenged me, uh, but I tell you, the challenges were worth it along the way. And uh, if you'd like to support the work we're doing, if what we have talked about resonates with you and you'd like to share uh, with us, we would greatly appreciate the financial support through a PayPal account, and the link is on our homepage, and PayPal is there for your security. As well as ours, and now to our final three questions. <clears throat> I feel a little like Jeopardy here, Alex Trebek. Thank okay. uh, you. was, uh, da, 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 da. but he had hair on top. I don't. So,
1: <laughs> no one can tell the hat. The hat That's true. It.
0: Although there are times when I pop it off. But anyway, um, first question: Who is Sabine Gideon?
1: Mm. Wonderful question. So titles aside, right? Those are those are just titles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am a woman walking by faith. Um, you know, saved by grace, walking in purpose. And my, I truly believe that the who I am is to help spread. You know, this message of hope. Help spread this message of unity. Um, and this this message of you know, greatness, uh, helping people see the greatness that is within them.
0: What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now?
1: Oh, I, I think I just answered that. Um, okay. What do I hope to achieve? Honestly, I, you know, we were talking about generations earlier, and this has been something that has been like sitting with me. And it's really uh, the work of inspiring and equipping the next generation of leaders um, in our society, in the workplace, in whatever capacity that they're that they're operating in.
0: And finally, what is your life's purpose?
1: I keep getting ahead of myself here with these answers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think. I I do think the leadership piece um, in sharing what I know and equipping and inspiring others is, is part of that life purpose. But to be honest with you, Richard, I I believe my life purpose is being is like evolving, and it's being revealed to me every step that I take, every new level, every risk, every you know. You talked about this still small voice challenging you. Right? Every challenge that I, I get and that requires me to show up courageously, that requires me to take risks, that requires me to do something outside of my comfort zone, it expands and reveals more of my purpose to me. So today, if you ask me, I can't tell you that I know what the one singular thing of my purpose is, but I know that I am on that path to discovery.
0: Well, Sabine Gideon, I I thank you so much for giving us so much time here on the program and sharing yourself and the work that you are doing. And I encourage people to go to your website, sabinegideon.com. As I said, we will be linked to your website too. And people will be able to see that link uh, up on the screen when they go to YouTube and watch the video. So uh, make it a point to do that. Go to her website, sabinegideon.com. And again, thank you so much for so much time.
1: Thank you so much, Richard. It's been a pleasure.
0: And I thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.